0: Do you realize what you just saying? You, you, you and I sang, give me vision to see things like you do." You know We just kind of subtly inserted that verse in there, and you said it out loud, didn't you? Give me vision to see things like you do. And that's what we want to do this morning as we look into God's word, to start right there with that prayer, not just help Mark to be able to get through a sermon. But, God, give me vision to see uh, The life, the world, the life, my life Just the way you do Now, if you were to walk down to the plaza this afternoon And go from one um, uh, store to another Just walking along the sidewalk You would see glass open areas And inside of it, there are uh, merchants who are selling things And one of their most effective ways to sell things Is to put some sort of a lifelike display out there And so, we call them mannequins. You know, they dress them up, they put backpacks on them, whatever they do. But you walk from window one window after another, and you see mannequins that are just as lifelike as they possibly can, or unless they're artistic renderings in some way. That just display stuff for us. In fact, the manufacturing specifications for mannequins—I don't know if you know this or not—but to be still and to and to just stay there. That's 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 the basic issue. Is that they just gotta. Just got to stay still. Have you ever walked by a display window where you saw actually real people pretending to be mannequins? Once in a while, you, know, you go by, wow, that's actually a real person. And I've seen crowds gather, and there's, are they going to breathe now? Can I see them breathing? And they're just as absolutely as frozen as can possibly be. You know, that's what they try to be. They try to look as unlifelike as they possibly can. But it's really a wonder to see a person, a human being, just being like a mannequin. You know, the skill set for that is to breathe shallowly and to take breaks seldom and uh, to be still and don't move. But you know what the manufacturer's specification are for people? To move. That's what we were made for, not to look like we have no life, but actually to be filled with life. And so it might be entertaining to be able to see a human being acting like a mannequin. You would say that's not what they were made for. And as we study God's word and we hear what the manufacturer, the person who made us, what, they, what God designed us for, it was for us to live life, live life to the full, as we talked about last Sunday, to live a life that is characterized by absolute love for God. And as we're walking through this series, we realize that when we are people of love, love isn't static, it doesn't move, love actually does. And so that's what we're looking at during this series is what does it look like for us to be who we were intended to be, to be what God made us to be. In fact, in Bob's book, Love Does, he talks about the thing that he learned as a, as a, as a young a follower of Jesus. And uh, he says this. There's a passage in the Bible that says people who haven't met Jesus are going to think the people who have met Jesus are crazy. I get that look sometimes. And it's usually from people who don't have a lot of creativity or haven't experienced whimsy or Haven't played with BB guns or been shot once or twice. And you have to read that story about the sniper attack if you want to go further with that. But he goes on to say this the people who slowly become typical have the greatest problem wrapping their minds around a dynamic friendship with an invisible, alive God. There's nothing wrong with being typical, I guess. But there's nothing fundamentally right about it either. I've never read in Genesis that God created typical and called it good. Instead, I think people who were bored made up typical and called it, if not good, at least acceptable. People who follow Jesus, though, are no longer typical. God is constantly inviting them into a life that moves away from typical. Even if they have normal jobs, live in normal homes, and drive normal cars, they're just not the same anymore. That's what God's intention is for us. And when we become full of life, the way we were made to be, the specifications for being human, embraced in connection with the God who made us in relationship with Him. Our lives just simply won't be the same anymore. And there are two parts of it. One is we will be characterized by a love for God. And we talked about this last week. You think about it long enough and you realize why we have such deep affection for God. You think about his grace. You think about, I think about his unconditional love, about his boldness, about his His, uh, passion For justice, the way he steps in and the things he says and the things he calls out, his brilliance, his creative beauty, his sacrifice, all of those pieces of it. And you say, wow, I just love that about him. Not not just that he gives those to me, it's who he is. And when I learn more about the character of God, I discover he is really easy to love. And so that's what our life is intended to be characterized by, just this deep affection for appreciation, love of God himself. But the other part of that is to live a life uh, loving not only him, but loving others. There's a connection here. Remember we talked about last week the character trait of what love is? Love is actually when when a person realizes the deepest desires of another person have actually become the deepest desires that they have themselves. That's what love is when another person's deepest desires become my deepest desires because of my love for them. Then you know it's just turned. I I desire those things because I love you and those are your desires. They've become mine. And we saw a hint of this last week when we looked at 2 Corinthians chapter four where it talked about God's desire not only that we would experience life to the full, but that, but that, um, but, uh, that we would also love the one who has given us that life. These two things are connected. You look at our vision statement actually and it, it is this, to bring every person to life in Christ and the two things actually are connected with each other here. I think some of us say, you know, I want to grow. I, I, I hear that oftentimes. I, it, it's true for me. I want to grow deep in my walk with the Lord. I want my faith to be vibrant and real and meaningful and significant. And um, there are two fatal mistakes we can make that, that, that prevent us from getting to that deeper relationship, the vibrancy of our faith with the Lord. And there are two mistakes Two fatal mistakes can be made. And the first one is this, that we somehow detach our faith from love. It's not our faith, our faith life isn't about our love for God. It's about a sense of obligation to God. Perhaps a sense of guilt or, or maybe a little bit of fear. I better not mess this up. When my faith um, is detached from love and it becomes about a sense of obligation, that will kill genuine faith. That is not authentic faith. It's a fatal mistake to detach faith from a love for God himself. But there's another fatal mistake that happens oftentimes, and that is to detach faith from the things that love does. I love God, and out of my love for God, there are things that I do with my life. You see, it's about life in Christ, and his, that's his deepest desire for you, that you would live a full, uh, significant, abundant life. That's his deepest desire for you. But it's not just life in Christ, it's love for the others that Christ loves and is concerned about as well. You see, there's an essential connection between what it means for me to experience life in Christ and for me to be a part of to bring others every person to life in Christ the two things are actually connected to each other remember the greatest commandment when someone comes to Jesus what's the greatest command there are all sorts of commands what's the greatest command love the Lord your God with our strength heart, soul, mind, and strength and to love your neighbor I thought he asked for one you see, you see he couldn't answer it with just one part of that they're connected to each other. To love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and to love your neighbors yourself. I just asked for one, and Jesus, that's it. They're connected with each other. To live life in Christ is to live bringing every person to life in Christ. That's it. That's the one. And so what does the evidence look like of us actually realizing this and living in uh, to this vision? One is we will live a life that others want to have. A life worth sharing. And that's the evidence of the Holy Spirit at work in our life. That we will live a life that others want to have. But the other part of it is is that we will be devoted to a life making sure that others can live that very same life. Both of those things together. So what does the evidence look like actually? or what, what, what does Paul talk about and the character of it? We actually see it in our text for this morning in 1 Corinthians chapter 9 beginning in verse 19. Paul talks about the second piece of it, the, or the first piece in our vision statement to bring every person uh, to life in Christ. And listen to his passion in, verse 9, beginning in, uh, in chapter 9 beginning in verse 19. Though I am free and belong to no one, I have made myself a slave to everyone to win as many as possible. To the Jews, I become like a Jew to win the Jews. To those under the law, I become like one under the law. Little explanation here. Though I myself am not under the law. So as to win those under the law. To those not having the law, I become like one having the law. Little explanation here. Though I am not free from God's law, but under Christ's law. So as to win those not having the law. To the weak I become weak to win the weak. I become all things to all people so that by all possible means I might save some. I do all of this for the sake of the gospel that I may share in its blessings. There are several features of what Paul was talking about here. I do it. I I bring every person. I'm a part of bringing every person to love in Christ. The first way I do it is I do it freely. Not under compulsion. It's something that Paul says, I have decided to do. I don't need to. I am free. Uh, I I, I do this freely. You know, when something's done freely, it's actually an expression of love or can be an expression of love, right? If it's compulsory, uh, there's no necessarily no love in it. So when God calls us to organic outreach, when God calls us to reach out to people that have yet to realize the power of a living relationship with Jesus Christ he invites us to do it of our own volition you know why so that when we do it we don't say yeah I'm doing it because you told me to we get to say I'm doing it because I love you God when it's done freely there's a power of it being an expression of love And that's what God invites us into. There's an opportunity to be able to say with our witness to God, I really love you. And you see different parts of this. It's not that it it freely doesn't mean comfortably. Freely doesn't mean without hardship. Freely doesn't mean that it's easy. In fact, we go back to 2 Corinthians chapter 4 and we see the list of character traits of Paul's life. And he says, I've been hard-pressed. I've been perplexed. I've been persecuted. I've been struck down. But guess what? He has been all of those things freely. Freely perplexed. Freely struck down. Freely hard-pressed. You know, there's a power in expression of love that comes from more than one's lips, but from the sacrifice that, characterizes the display of love, right? And so God invites us into this part of his desire for the world so that we actually may be able to say to him, yeah, I do love you. I'll take hard-pressed. I'll take persecuted. I'll take struck down. I'll take it all because I want to freely tell you I love you there's another aspect of this and that is that Paul says that we do it urgently that there's a sense of priority in it there's priority for us in regards to this you know what the priority is for us this opportunity to help other people come to faith in Christ is the only part of our Christian identity that we cannot do when we get to heaven everything else we can We can worship, we can fellowship, we can learn more. All of that stuff, we will get to do it for an eternity. This is the one part of Christian identity and calling that we only get to do now. When we get to heaven, we get to tell stories about this purpose that God called us into here on earth. But friends, this is it. It's the only time in our Christian existence that we get to say, I love you, God, this way. So you see the urgency in it. You see the priority of it. This is it. This is the only time. All the other stuff can wait. This cannot. But it's not only urgency for us, it's urgency for them. And you can pick this up even in those verses. In verse 22 in particular, You look at it and uh, listen to what Paul says here. He says, To to the weak I become weak, to win the weak. I have become all things to all people so that by all possible means I might save some. He's talking about winning people, pulling them away from the clutches of the evil, winning them, rescuing them from the grip of the evil one and winning them back, getting them back. But there's also this language about saving them. This is high stakes. Now, we should have known that. Christ dies for us. When Christ decides to die for us, you have to say, wow, something really, really big must be on the line. Right? I mean, that's how serious he takes our condition is that he knows he must die for us. Why? Because we're in danger of being lost. It says, Jesus came to seek and to save, to seek and to save the lost. When Jesus saw them, he had compassion on them because they were as sheep without a shepherd. And that's not like, oh, I wish you had a shepherd. Friends, sheep without a shepherd, they die. That's what happened to them. It's not just a convenient auxiliary feature of a person's life sheep without a shepherd are destroyed by the world around them this is what jesus is talking about here john 3:16 jesus said god so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. Now, we can have that conversation about how could a loving God, and that's a great conversation to have. But friends, the conversation this morning is this. God has said, those who do not choose to be guided by, forgiven by, transformed by me, they perish. And there's an urgency about this. It's a part of our calling that God calls us for. Guess what? He loves all of those people. His deepest longing is not for them to comply with a set of rules, but to know who he is and to love Him and to find life in him. There's another aspect of this, and that is that Paul does it, and we're called to do it relationally. So you see what he says. He says, to the Jew, I'm going to become just like a Jew. To those with the law, I'm going to become like those with the law. To those without the law, I'm going to become like those without the law. To those who are weak, I'm going to become weak. How do you get to those places? How do you become like a Jew? Well, you got to know them. How do you become like the weak? you got to be there. You see, God calls us to bring every person. We bring them because we're there. We understand them. We know their concerns. We understand their fears. We've gotten to understand a little bit about why they're there. We learn what turns them off, what repels them, what confuses them because we're there with them. That's what God calls us to, is to relationally be with them. And you say, oh, oh, Mark, but those people are so different than I am. These people that I know that don't know what Jesus is like, they're just so different than me. And so God says, okay, get to know them. Be with them. Hear their story. Find out what's true of their life. To do it relationally, not to pull away. Where do they hang out? There you go. Why do they believe what they believe? Why are they so passionate about that or fearful about this? Why don't we find out? And then there's this other aspect of it, and that is to do it sacrificially. Paul says, I'm going to become... All things to all people. Now, he gets misunderstood. You see those parentheses in the text there right now? He's just trying to protect himself from being misunderstood, but he's going to be misunderstood. What he does is he walks into this place where he says, I will not compromise my faith, though I might be misunderstood along the way. But guess what? I will forego my customs. I will forego my preferences. I will forego the things that are values to me. I value freedom. Paul was considered the apostle of freedom. Guess what it is? He decides to walk into an environment with no freedom in it so as to save some. I will forego my freedoms. I will forego my uh, my personal values. When I'm with Jews... To use language to say, I'll be kosher. I, it's not me, but I'm going to be. When I'm with those who are Greeks, I won't be kosher. You know why? Because neither of those things matter to God. You walk into that environment that's, oh, yes, it matters. And Paul says, okay, if it matters to you, I'm there. Because it doesn't matter to God. What matters to God is your life. And that you understand the reality of the grace and the goodness in the compassion and the transforming power of Jesus Christ. I'll let everything else go. I'll change everything. Move out the furniture, whatever it takes. Because because this matters so much. And he says, I'll do it in order that some might be saved. Now here's one of the challenges that we have in the church um, in the United States today. It's one of the only places in the world where the church is really struggling to grow. Beth is working um, with organizations that are doing a bunch of the research on this and realizing, you know, it is really remarkable that it, it, it is just such a difficult environment for people to come to faith in Christ. And so, Beth and I were both at conferences this weekend with the covenant. I was with our regional conference for the Midwest out in Colorado, and Beth was with the Covenant Church conference out in California. And we actually ended up on uh, planes and landed almost at the same time in the Kansas City airport. And we didn't go home right away. We just decided to hang out for a little while telling stories. I, met this, I could say I met this beautiful woman in the airport. <laughs> but I actually met her before that. Beth, why don't you just take a seat right here? And um, she was just telling me some of the things that happened over the last uh, couple of days. And we, if we could just duplicate that conversation without the coffee... Uh, yeah we should just get a cup of cups of coffee and just kind of duplicate the whole thing but that before you tell tell your story about the person you had a conversation with that I want all of us to hear because a story of a church it really does it really well what do you think the challenges are for us what are the things that the church needs to know Along, along these
1: lines? So I, um, First of all, I've been ill, so I've got my hot water up here to just kind of help my voice. And
0: she's got a tattoo on her right a hand tattoo. there. Tattoo.
1: So you know that Covenant <laughs> is divided into geographic regions called conferences. And every spring, all those conferences get together and, and at a conference. So conferences have a conference. And so Mark was in Colorado at the Midwest Conference with pastors from this five-state area. And I was in California Uh, with Pacific Southwest pastors, and we all got tattooed. And it's not permanent, thank the Lord. Uh, (laughs) But it's kind of fun. It says we get to. So we get to Mm. serve the Lord, we get to do ministry, and we get to reach the unchurched. So my dissertation research, I am studying um, churches that are effective in reaching and retaining unchurched millennials, So I'm just looking at churches that are doing evangelism well. They're fruitful. I'm trying to find out what those patterns are. So um, some of the things I'm learning about churches that are doing it right, I think that would be helpful because it will show you some of the challenges. But um, churches just have unchurched people on their radar. They're inviting. They're welcoming. They're trying to make their churches irresistible to the unchurched in every single experience. They're also highly relational. Everything's about relationships. And when I do my interviewing, I hear the same things that I'm reading about unchurched people, that relationships really matter. Um, They are praying once a week as a church, regularly, consistently, for unchurched people, for their spiritual status, that it would change, that they would be transformed. They are making sacrifices, personal sacrifices, to have time, to give resources, to make their churches um, uh, more a place where the unchurched would feel at home. And um, their pastors are building relationships with non-Christians for the purpose of sharing Christ and people are following their pastors, pastors are hearing consistently stories from their congregations, from their attendees, of people having spiritual conversations with the unchurched. So it just just becomes part of the DNA of these churches. And I also heard the word home a lot in my research and in my, not just reading, but in my interviewing is people will say the church it's it's just a home for me Hmm. it just feels like a home and then here's the last thing i want to say especially about younger unchurched people they are looking for a place to contribute so churches that are serving the poor they're joining churches doing those kinds of things and churches that are developing young people in leadership they're mentoring them and they're providing leadership opportunities are finding um, that they're poised well to reach, especially that younger unchurched group.
0: And it's not that people who are unchurched or, you know, they are it's not that they don't have a spiritual desires or even oh, aspects no. of their life.
1: Yeah, let me share that with you too. So when they were asked about their... Um, What's your attitude towards church? Let's talk about that for a minute. 66% 66 of unchurched people, these are only unchurched people responding, are favorable towards church. And we often think, right, that unchurched people don't like the church. Um, Only 15% express interest in attending a church, but they're open. 66% say they are spiritual people, 65% still consider themselves Christians, so culturally they're Christians. 58% say they pray to God during a typical week. 60% say their religious faith is very important to them. 50% of unchurched people claim to be actively seeking something better spiritually. And 40% of younger unchurched adults talk about faith matters typically uh, within a typical week with friends and family. And I ask, okay, where is that happening? In their close relationships. They're talking about faith. Do we have those close relationships with unchurched people so they can be talking to us about faith?
0: So tell us about this woman you had a chance to be able to have a conversation with just the day before yesterday.
1: Okay, so Mark and I were swapping stories and I am interviewing um, millennials, 19 to 20, uh, let's say up to 33. And, um, year olds, and of course, you know, I'm up late at night because that's when they're free. So, I was talking to I'm Jessica, not. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, I'm talking to the pastors of these churches really early in the morning so that they can give me an hour, and then I'm staying up really late uh, for these uh, young adults who, and they're young adults coming to faith in Christ at covenant churches from unchurched backgrounds. So, that's what I'm focusing on. So, this woman's name, she's um, Jessica is 25. And I'm calling her Jessica. That's not her real name. I have permission to share her story. She texted me back last night when Mark said, oh, could you share some of that at church? So I texted her and said, would that be okay? And she said, absolutely anything that helps people reach out and help people come to know God. She goes, you can just use my story all over. So she's not not Jessica, and she's not from Kansas City or Missouri or Kansas, anywhere around here. So, Okay, so I'm talking to Jessica, and I said, Jessica, so how did you connect to a church? And she said, well, actually, my story is I've, I've never, ever went to a church till a few months ago, ever. Not a christ not Christmas and Easter, nothing. And my, uh, my fiance and I were looking for a church to get married at. And she said, you know, I just didn't, I'm looking for a pastor. And she goes, I just like, I just don't want to be judged. I just don't want a pastor in my wedding who's going to judge us. So she said, I, I, I went to this first church. And she goes, it was just what I was afraid of. She was just way over my head, and she goes, There's no personal connection. And she goes, I was just so uncomfortable. So she said, I got online and I looked around for someone to marry us, and I found this pastor that goes to this church not too far from us. And she said, And he does weddings. And so she said, I met with him, and he was so calming. He was like so calming. And, but she said, you know, I had to go to his church because I really wanted to know what I was getting my family into, if he was going to come to our wedding. So she said, I was too afraid to go because, you know, I just I don't know anything about the Bible. I don't know anything about God. I don't know who Jesus is. And she goes, I, I just, you know, I was really afraid. And so I asked my mom, who doesn't go to church either, if she would come with me. So she said, we went. And she said, it was just amazing. She said, the music was so Beautiful, and she said the message. It just—it was so simple. It just—I could just absolutely understand what I was saying. She was—I've never even read the Bible before, so I, I said to her, well, tell me, you know, just uh, first of all, I said, why are you? Tell me, describe your church to me. Like, what would I see and what would I hear if I came to your church?" She goes you would see people smiling she goes you would see people smiling at each other and you would see them talking to each other you walk in the church and everybody like is talking to each other and and she goes you know you sit down and they just come right over to you and they talk to you and and they invite you to do things and she said oh it's just it, she says it's just wonderful and, um,
0: she even says that there are people at the door, right? Yeah, oh, this
1: was so cute. She goes, yes, thank you, Mark. She goes, you know, when you get to the door, she says, there's, there's people there, and they just greet you. They say hello, and they smile at you. And she said, and when you come in the church, they give you like this pamphlet, and it tells you what's going on in the life of the church, and how you can get connected. And she said, you know, so, so I said, did you get connected? Like, are you serving in the church? She goes, oh, yes. She goes, I really wanted to contribute. I really wanted to contribute to where I belong. And so she said, so, um, she said, I saw that there were two opportunities that's kind of, I thought, oh, that's good for me. And one didn't fit my schedule, but the other one was teaching. And she goes, you know, I'm a teacher, but she said, I didn't think they would let me teach because I don't know God. So she said, so I had to go through this interview, and I was so nervous. But she said, they said, uh, Jessica, we love where you are in your journey. And she said, they said, here's the curriculum, and we'll help you. You'll have a partner in the room with you. And she said, so I've been teaching. And she goes, I love it because I get to contribute. Now, what do we often think about new people? They don't want to. Contribute? We take care of them. Uh uh-uh. uh She wanted somebody to give her a job. Um, keep asking, because there's lots more in that story.
0: <laughs> well, I just think it's interesting what her perspective is on faith. I mean, this is she's fairly new at this, right? Mm,
1: yeah, yeah. And so, um, what sociologists, what we look for um, uh, when we say that someone's religious is that we're looking for um, patterns of belief. What do they believe? Do they belong? And how do they behave, right? Those are the kind of the three areas. So I asked her a series of questions that most evangelicals believe because she's an evangelical covenant church. And I asked her, you know, do you believe that God is perfect and holy? Oh, I know God is perfect and holy. "Um, Well, tell me what you believe about Jesus. She goes, oh, well, I love to talk to Jesus. And she said, "I, I know that Jesus saved me and I just absolutely uh, um, believe in him. And so um, I asked her a few more questions and then she answered them all great and then I got to one she didn't know. I said, so uh, Jessica, did Jesus live a sinless life? Oh.
0: That's one of our marker questions, right? Yeah, as Christians, right?
1: (laughs) I don't know about that, she said. Well, oh, I know he sinned. She goes, Jesus sinned to save us. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> so cute, she is so cute. She
0: everybody sins, so yeah, obviously so, yeah, Jesus. So Jesus
1: sins too, so I said, so at some point I said, that would be a really fun conversation for you to have with your pastor. Because <laughs> you I'm the researcher, I'm not supposed to be telling her what, anything. Yeah,
0: but isn't it interesting, here this person has come in, and her, ex, her sense, how would she describe the community? What would she describe about the character oh, traits of the people? Yeah,
1: She said. You, she said, it's like a family. She goes, Our church is a family. And she said, It's like coming home. She goes, oh, You hear that all the time. Our pastor says it. People say it. We're a home for people. If you want a home, this is your home. And um, So they're wonderful they things. Yeah, yeah, they're, yeah, yeah. they're yes. wonderful
0: things she hasn't discovered about Jesus yet. But how would she yeah. describe
1: it? So she kept holding her hand like this. So I said, So, Jessica, what does that mean for you? She goes, This? She goes, Oh, she said, At our church, this is all you have to believe. This is all you have to believe. If you believe, if you want Jesus to be the center, if you want to be centered in Jesus, if you want him to be your center, you belong here. You're welcome here. Um, oh, I love that. So, so I asked her, so she's believing. She's coming along in that. Um, she's belonging. She's, this is a place where I belong. She's contributing. And then I was also looking for behavior patterns. So I was asking her, tell me, and often sociologists are looking at prayer as one of the behaviors. And so I said, tell me about prayer. Like, what is prayer and and are you, do you pray? She goes, oh, it's talking to God. She goes, I know that. She goes, you know, pastor, he teaches about that. And she said, so she goes, she giggles, and she says, I laugh at myself because I talk to God all the time now. She goes, my husband and I, she goes, we've been married four weeks, but we laugh because we're talking about, we're talking to God, and then we're talking to each other about the fact that we talk to God, and it's so And fresh. it's so
0: new and it's novel. It's so for...
1: new, it's so fresh, and um, so I did ask her, how would you describe your church to friends who don't attend church? I would describe it as really open, not a closed church. Um, you all just have this one center, and that is Jesus our God, and if you believe that, you're welcome. Um, so what do you love about your church? The sense of family and of home and of welcomeness. We don't feel like a bunch of strangers. It's a great community of friends and family, and you can be yourself and be at home there. So then I asked her another really key question that I think kind of fits in with what you're talking about today, Mark, so I'm going to just get down to it because I want to say it in her words. Um uh what there are two questions so one does your church often pray for people who are not christians like do they publicly pray for non christian christians she goes and do they and i said do they reach out to them she goes that's the main theory of our church our main theory is reach out make our church feel like a home and reach out to the nuns i said oh who are the nuns no, I I study the nuns, so I know who the nuns are. And I want to know if she knows who the nuns are. She goes, you know, those people, when they have a piece of paper and it says, you click a box and you say, what are you? And it's no religion. And that is what the nuns are. She goes, and we're supposed to reach the nuns. It's the unchurched people who don't self-identify as anything in particular religiously. They're called nuns. So she's been taught about that. And um, so then I want to get down to this next thing about her. Jesus. Jesus. Okay, it's really good, so that's why I want to get to it.
0: So she was a nun, and she's been welcomed into a church family, and she's not anymore.
1: I know, it's just the coolest thing ever. So, and um, she doesn't even
0: have it all figured out yet. And someone's given her a curriculum that allows her yeah. to actually contribute.
1: So I asked her, are you um, helping anyone who's not churched either, Um, come to church or to have a personal relationship with Jesus. Now she's been coming for about three months. I'm looking for multiplication, right? I'm looking for are we reproducing disciples that make disciples? And she says, oh yeah. She goes, no. She says, I'm really careful because I don't want to do what I was afraid of. I don't want to push anything down anybody's throat. But she goes, but yes, I'm talking about what God is doing in my life. And so then I said, are you bringing anyone to your church that's in church? She goes, oh yeah. She goes, I'm bringing my husband, and she goes, and I'm bringing my mom, and she goes, now my dad is coming, and she goes, oh, my aunt came, and she just loved it, so she goes, our whole family is coming, and I said, do they have anything for, like, millennials, like, for your age group? She goes, yes, they have a group for us on on the middle of the week. She goes, you know, everybody needs to get together in the middle of the week. You know that, and she said, "And, and they have a Sunday night service for people my age. She goes, but I'm not coming because my family is coming with me on Sunday mornings, She's been married four weeks now. So.
0: so there's a lot more you can hear about this story. Just wonderful and fresh to be able to hear these kinds of things and to be churches. And I, I just heard that story and I says, you know, we can do that. There's so much about who we are that we could actually be that place. And, and they don't need sophistication. They, they just need to know that there's a sense of, come on. Uh, We love you, and we care about you. You know, this has happened before. When I go back and I look at, actually, Beth and I, when we were just married, we were involved in a church, and there were a group of people just a little bit older than us, and they were completely involved in the hippie generation. Now, some of you people don't understand that, but some of us, we were there. You know, the flower children, you know, all of that kind of, uh, the protest movement, all of those pieces of it. And there were churches there were churches in the United States that welcomed those kids in. And no one would describe those kids as being the kind of people you would, you would easily welcome into a church. Um, some of them were unbathed. And they had their hair way too long, and you know Jesus had short hair. Oh, that's right, I did see that picture. But I mean there were all of these things their politics completely contrary to what was the establishment during that time in a lot of ways their their use of drugs they would come in either having been tripped out or were tripped out as they walked in the door their behavior their sexual ethics all of those things completely antithetical to anything that in So many churches, we would say, that's just not the way that God wants us to live a life. And yet somehow there were churches that had the capacity to welcome you in. And it's changed the character of the church in the United States because of the boldness and courage of those people to believe, I don't care how you come, I know that the Holy Spirit is here. And instead of those churches being scarred, marked, destroyed by people like that coming into a place like this, they were transformed. And the church has been transformed as a result of it. It has happened before. And God is giving us the invitation in this generation to be a part of watching Him do it again as we make the choice to say to Him, I see what matters to you, and I love you. Now, what does it mean? You've got your card as far as action steps to be able to take. I'm convinced that God wants to poke each of us in a particular way and say, What does it mean for me to express my love to Christ in regards to His longing? every single person so Michael's gonna come up now and Daniel's gonna come up and lead us in a song think about God what is it you want to say to me what will I walk out of here what will love do in my life let's worship